The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. There's a story in the New Testament where a father was going to find Jesus because his daughter was sick and dying. And, and as a father, I, can, I feel what that's like. And in one particular scene, if you've got your imagination caps on, his name was Jairus, and he had found Jesus and said, Jesus, I need you to come to, to get my daughter. She's sick. She's dying. Would you please hurry? Because they knew that Jesus had power. Jesus said, I will come. And he was walking through the crowds, and, and people were pressing in against him. And as he was going, following this father who had a constant welling of tears in his eyes, Jesus felt something leave him. It said that he felt power go from him in the midst of a crowd where people were pressing in. And then it's one of the most amazing lines in the Bible. It says that he turned around. And what had happened as Jesus was making his way from where he was to help the daughter, a woman who had been sick for years, not just one year, not just two years, not just a decade, but she had been bleeding and unclean. And would have been cast out from her people. Because in the Jewish religion, if you, were, if you were bleeding, you were unclean. And if you were unclean and you touched someone else, you made them unclean. But this woman saw this moment as her last chance. So she went out of her house, pushing through the crowds, weakened after having bled for over 15 years. And, and she made her way. And all she thought was, if I could just touch the hem of his robe. And I don't know about you, but crowds are not the easiest thing to push through. I go to Disney, as many of you know. I have a love-hate relationship with it. And by love-hate, I just mean I abhor it. And my favorite thing about Disney is we have two strollers. When you have a bunch of kids, you get all of this gear, right? We've got the sit-and-stand, which many of you know. Like you, This is what it says. One kid stands and another kid sits. When you have three kids, that turns into like a sit-stand-and-drape. But then we've got this stroller called the Double Bob, okay? The reason why I like the Double Bob, A, it's got giant wheels with bearings. B, it has this triangular point that acts as a sort of human battering ram. And it just parts people. Now, I'm six foot six. You know, my wife affectionately calls me 200 pounds of twisted steel and sex appeal. But she doesn't. That's my own nickname. I'm trying to get it to catch on. So it's just, if you could oblige me, you know. But, but when I go to Disney, with all of my strength and half of my sin nature and a Viking people parter, I cannot make it through those crowds. Without fail, someone is there taking a picture. Someone is there Facebook living. Someone is there, and they're in my way. And, and as much mercy as I have toward most people in my life, something weird happens. As soon as I go to Disneyland, I hop on that ferry. Everyone else is going to the happiest place on earth. And somewhere in my brain, there's a little shoulder devil that crawls up inside and finds the mercy switch and goes off. And I try to just, it, I can't, and I want to, and even when I've tried to part people, I don't. I just run into them, and, and then I'm like, ah, they're probably going to come to church on Sunday. It's just my luck. So I'm trying to be kind, but I can't get through these crowds. And I, I'm a grown man with a Viking people parter. I don't know how this woman did it. I can't, 
she must have been desperate because she was sick for so long. And she, she must have just been pushing these men aside. Jesus' friends were fishermen. These are blue-collar guys. And she's just saying, I've got to get in. And she touches it, and he turned around. And that's where I want us to start today. No matter where you are in your Christianity, I think we have to pause, and we've got to look at this thing we call church and religion and understand that we have tacked on things that are keeping us from seeing the heart of the issue, that every individual human being matters, and that God has called us and calls you today to turn around when someone is in need, to turn around, to get to the core of what Christianity is about, when you feel that tug. And today, I want to let you know up front, I would love it if you sponsored a kid, but I am not here to guilt you into sponsoring kids. If you are new, just know this. I am a very anti-guilt pastor. If you've been here for a while, you already know this. I want the love of Jesus to compel you to do whatever God is calling you to do. And this is one of the verses that is a core Micah 6, 8. There's even a song. Some of you old school ones might sing it in your head. He has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. If you get this verse, the rest of Christianity falls into place. If you don't get this verse, the rest of Christianity becomes this busy, exhausting, ladder-climbing spiritual exercise. Did you guys know the song? Did any of you hear it in your head? I can hardly even read it without changing the words because I think I sang it in like the NIV or the King James Version. He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee. It was like a campfire song? No? Okay, just me. Lonely, I am so lonely. Okay. So how does this affect us today? Compassion weekend. We've got two stories outside, Jonathan and Kiwi. And you get to see some of how they live and hear their stories. If you're going today, something I just found out, or if you've already been, I thought this was remarkable. I just found this out today. Kiwi, the Filipina girl, Filipinos, where my Filipinos at? All four of us. (laughs) Kiwi is the Filipina girl out there. She ended up marrying her sponsor family's son which really changes how I'm looking at the kid that I'm sponsoring now. <laughs> so I'm, I'm like, do I like you? Do you love Jesus? I don't know. Like, Lord, is this the one? But, but are we going to, just looking at this verse, just breaking it down. Okay, God has told us what is good. Jesus modeled what is good. When someone in need touched the hem of his robe, he turned around. He didn't keep walking. 1 John 3.17 says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Currently, there are about 26,000 young children who will die of um, poverty, hunger, preventable diseases today. 26,000 kids today that will die of um, things that we, we don't die from here. We take for granted. I was talking with one person who went through the compassion experience And I'm not going to do too many spoiler alerts, but there's some people that died of jaundice. And I thought, if if I wasn't born here, if I was born in the Philippines, and and where my grandpa was born, I probably would have died of jaundice. Because I had to go under one of those lamps. I had to be in the hospital for, I think, a week or something like that. A week, Mom? Five days? 
Okay, I thought she said five weeks. I was like, it's a miracle I'm still here. But, but just by being born here, having what we have here, the number of kids, times my kids have left a half-eaten apple, and I say, finish your apple. We went through the story, and one of my kids said, I'm going to finish all the apples now, Dad. Are we willing to turn around? Proverbs 14.31 says, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. If you want to know how to insult God, it's not just like screaming things at him. He's big, and he, he's powerful. You telling him things, he's not going to be like, ouch. If you want to insult him, oppress poor people. That's what insults God. It's insulting to him. But he who is generous to the needy honors God. We have a calling as followers of Jesus to push back the darkness in this world. Everything that you have, your time, your money, your talents, your eyeballs, your hands, your legs, your feet, your cars, your shoes, your clothes, everything that you have, your point-shoot camera, your cell phones, everything that you have has been given to you to be used by you for the glory of God to push back the tides of darkness and brokenness in this world. Everything. So next time you pick up your phone and you think it's just something to stay connected to friends, ask yourself, how does this, how can I use this to help push back the tides of darkness and brokenness in this world? How can I use this to love others? Every time you get in your car and you go to the gas station and you fill up and you lament that gas is going up, say, how can I use this tank of gas to love more people than I would have with the last tank of gas? Every time you wake up and you can still walk, don't take it for granted and say, Lord, well, where will you take my feet today to help the needy and the poor in our community? Because even though you may not see them today, and we're going to get to this in a little bit, they are all around us. So let's ask the simple questions. You want to know what is good? You want to know what the Lord requires of you? It's right here in Micah 6.8. First, do justice. Now, I know what this conjures up in some of us. In some of us, We've got the justice warriors. You're like, yes, I will bring justice. And I need to clarify, this does not mean that you are the judge of all creation, okay? So if that's your spouse, if your spouse acts like the judge of all creation, just nudge them and say, not you, told you so. Because what this is talking about is God's type of justice. And God has a system in place that is constantly drawing the poor, the needy, and the broken to himself. If you've ever just read the New Testament and asked, okay, who were the people following Jesus? It was all of the jacked up people, which is why I love this church family so much, because so many of you are finally seeing how jacked up you are, because we have kids that steal dimes, because we, we catch a kid that's over here taking a piece of cinder block that he broke by our AC unit and carving stuff in the air conditioning fins of our AC unit that costs like $10,000 to repair. Now, if it was Ryan Tyrona justice, I would have taken my Viking people eater and just rammed this kid to next year. Because not only did he grind everything up when I said, hey man, what's your name? He said, Evan. And when I caught him with his parents later, I said, yeah, your son Evan was grinding stuff in the AC. And then there was another kid in the car going like this, I didn't do it. And I was like, wait, you're Evan? No, no, that's Evan. And the dad goes, no, that's Cohen. I want those type of people here, the kid versions and the adult versions. Because if somebody's stealing dimes, we don't need to kick them out of church. We need to say, if you need dimes that bad, come in. I, I've told you before jokingly, I want 
the type of people to come here where when somebody sits in your pew, you don't know them. Maybe you knew them from like a former life or where you worked with them at a job and you know that they're a shady bunch. I want some people to terrify you so much that you just scoot your purse between your legs. You're like, I don't know about that. It's shady. Because this is who was drawn to Jesus, the sick, the needy, the broken, the sinners who were trying to navigate things. And for those of you who have grown up in church or maybe you've been in the church bubble for a long time, you might have forgotten that some things are hard to get rid of in your life. Sin just doesn't evaporate overnight. Sin is like humidity in Florida. It's everywhere all the time, and it's sticky and disgusting and uncomfortable. And no matter how many times you shower, it comes back to haunt you. This is the type of people that follow Jesus. The shiny people, they, they're the ones that killed Jesus. The ones who had it all together, they're the ones that, that were constantly keeping Jesus an arm's length away. So do justice in God's way. God had set up things in the time of the Israelites to where when, if you owned a farm, for example, you can harvest some of the grain, but you were instructed to leave parts of the grain so that the poor could pick it up and have food. Every government program we have right now that's having to feed people, care for people, that, that should actually be a flag that the government's waving, saying, church, why aren't you doing what you were created to do? Because we were created to meet the needs of the broken, the hurting, and the needy. When we talk about all, you know, all the stuff in the news lately going on with abortions, and uh, one of the things that I've had people say to me when I tell people, look, I, I just, I love life, and they say, well, are you going to adopt all the babies? I used to say, I, I couldn't do that. But now my answer, my heart's kind of changing, like, I will try my best. You've got to convince my wife, but I will try my best. And that's what God is asking us to do, to, to look at what his version of justice is, caring for those who are not cared for, Bring, bring justice to them, to those who can't defend themselves. From the earliest ages of my boys' lives, I've always told them, what is a brother's job to protect and love? I had another kid, what's a brother's job to protect and love? I had Savannah, who's by far my greatest barbarian in the family, and I tell the boys, what's a brother's job? And they're like, Savannah's going to protect us, and we're going to love her. Do justice. Stand for those who cannot stand for themselves. Look at what God's definition of justice is. Don't import your own definition. Don't act like the judge because you are not. God is the judge, and we are his ambassadors of love and kindness and good things and good deeds. Hosea 6.6 6 says, For I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. God wants you to know him and love more than he wants you to just go through the rote things of religion. Checking this box on Sundays is not going to make God clap up and down with happy, happy joy. God says, no, no, it's, it's okay that you're here. It's good that you're here to learn, to grow, to have the good news wash over you. But what is good is to love steadfastly, to come and know me intimately. Religion, this is James 1.27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So visit orphans and widows. Go into the broken places. Like we talked about with Hosea last week, Hosea went to get his wife from the dark alleys of sex trafficking and slavery and prostitution that she was trapped in. Go to those places, bring the love of Jesus to those places, and then don't get stuck in those places. 
Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. That's Proverbs 19, 17. Zechariah 7, 9 to 10. Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, that's also a word for immigrant, uh, or the poor, and let none of you desire or devise evil against another, one another in your heart. So, so this is what justice looks like. And I know the immigration thing is a hot topic. Here's all we have to do. If someone reaches out to you, turn around. We are not citizens of America first. God had you born here, for those of you who were born here, by his sheer grace, but you are a citizen of his kingdom. You are part of God's kingdom and God's family. And in God's family, we turn around for those who are fatherless. We turn around for the immigrant. Even if we think this may not line up with my political spectrum, no matter where you are on the spectrum, God's political spectrum is if someone is sojourning, if someone doesn't have help, help. I, I always got a kick out of this study. It was done at Princeton uh, Theological Seminary. And that's a, it's a Presbyterian group for all you Presbyterian brethren out there with me. And they had a group of students. It was a psych, it was a psych experiment they performed on a group of divinity students. So these are people going into the ministry, and, and they knew that it was a psych evaluation, but they didn't know the whole scheme of the story. And here's what happened. They said, okay, we want you to prepare your best sermon on the story of the Good Samaritan. For those unfamiliar, the 10-second version is the Good Samaritan is the story where somebody gets robbed and hurt, and a priest walks by, a church worker walks by, and the person that helps them is this outcast Samaritan person, Samaritan person, the person who you wouldn't think would stop and help. They help the person and get them safely to the next part. So they said to these divinity students, these eager future ministers wet behind the ears, we want you to write a Good Samaritan sermon and preach it. You're going to preach it over in this hall. We're going to record it, and we're going to do a study about it. Now, what they didn't know in this story is that this, the psych department had planted somebody that would be moaning and asking for help in one of the alleyways where they had to walk to get to this study area. And as the, as the subjects, the Princeton divinity kids, these ministers of Jesus were walking, what they did was half of the kids, as they were going by, they would hear someone in need of help. They would have somebody escorting the divinity students say, oh, we don't have time. We've got to get there quickly. And 80% of these future ministers who were going to preach the Good Samaritan story, when told they were in a crunch for time, walked right by the person in need for help. You're thinking, that's ironic. I would never do that. But then again, you're not being trapped. I, I, I wasn't in that study, thankfully. I don't know how I would have responded. But, but we are in that situation, I think, every single day. We are in the situation where we dehumanize people by looking at people as strangers or numbers, where we can talk about large groups of people forgetting that they're all created in God's image. And this doesn't have to just be the poor. This doesn't have to be the compassion kids. This could be the people that you see in the streets that are begging for money. This could be the person coming up to your counter at work. Sometimes as a business owner, you might just be like, I just need to sail. I just need to sail, sail to pay these bills. And we forget that that person is a human being with needs, wants, desires, and fears, and a story that's, that's moving into their life. If we forget those things, then it's easy to look at the dime, the dime thief from our kids' ministry and say, what a rotten little scoundrel. But I don't know what's going on in whoever that kid's life is. We, if we forget those things, then we might forget that the things going on with Evan slash Cohen, who is grinding our air conditioning unit with a cinder block, 
we might forget that we might not understand that there's something going on in his life that we don't even know about. We don't know what his family life is. So we need to slow down and do what Jesus did, turn around and see people as individuals and try as best we can to stop using labels. We can't entirely obliterate them, but when we use labels like those people, these people, immigrants, aliens, black, white, Hispanic, when we, when we generalize like that, those are things that tend to dehumanize our vision. Instead of saying, no, th- these are people from this area. These are people who were not born in America but want to live here. These are people trying to escape a country that is literally tearing them apart. They're human beings created in God's image that God loves. As much as he loves you, he loves them. As much as he died for you, he died for them. Will you turn around and do justice in the way that God has done for you and for me? Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Have you ever struggled to forgive someone? I mean, forgiveness is hard. We throw that word around in churches all the time. Oh, forgive, oh, forgive. Without thinking, the cost of forgiveness was that. And every time that you forgive somebody, you're taking a piece of this into your life. Forgiveness means you're absorbing the pain someone caused you, and you're saying, I'm going to let that go. Forgiveness is free to the person who receives it. It's never free to the person who gives it. Forgiveness comes with an absorbing cost of pain. And then walk humbly with your God. Philippians 2, starting in verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. What would it look like if we looked at each person and said, I want to count them more than I count myself right now? Because you know what I do in the morning? I wake up and think, what do I want today? I got here, I said, I need, I'm tired. I just drugged my feet in, and people said, you look terrible. And I drank monsters and coffee. And I was just so consumed in my head that I, I forgot to stop and think and say, how can I pray for you today? What's going on in your life today? You know what happens when you just ask those simple questions and actually mean it? Not like the American church thing, like, hey, how are you? Which just means hello. If you want to find out how much that doesn't mean how are you, next time you're having the absolute worst day of your life, answer them honestly. Hey, how's it going? It's so bad. (laughs) I literally just beat my kids today. My grass is mowing. Love bugs are in my eyeballs. Just get me out of here. But then stop and say, no, no, how, how are you? Can I help you with something? Are you, are you okay? And, and sadly enough, I think we get to the end of our rope before we ever answer those questions honestly. It's not until we're dangling and the knot is just right here and the abyss is below us and life is just pressing down its foot on our knuckles and we're down to two knuckles holding the rope of life. And then we're like, help. Instead, as I've said often, please let us let us know. Let your family know how you're doing before. As you're sliding down the rope and you're getting the rope burn that hurt, don't pretend that your hands aren't on fire. Say, hey, uh, I'm not doing so great. Could, could we just go and pray and hang out? Can we go bowling? Can we go to the beach? This is what chapel family means. When I say chapel family, 
I don't mean chapel friends who say chapel family. I mean chapel family who are chapel family. And I don't mean that we all have to be friends with each other because that is a way big family. I watched the Duggars, okay, 19 and counting. I think that it's probably hard to keep that many people cohesive. So let's go less than 19. I've watched Cheaper by the Dozen. That seems a little hard. I'm in, I have three kids. Sometimes that seems a little hard. Sometimes I, I've gone days and I'm like, I don't even know who you are anymore. It's one of my kids or my wife. I've been here at Compassion for so many days, my mind's just blistered right now. Stop and say, who's my family here? I mean, look around. Who's your family? Who could you call at 3 a.m.? And they wouldn't hate you the next day. I know I could call Phil at 3 a.m., and he wouldn't hate me. And what's even more scary is that he probably wakes up at 4. I know I could call Jared at 3 a.m., but he probably wouldn't remember. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's true. Sorry. Love you. I was looking for you over here, but you weren't here. But that's good, because then I could confess a bunch of stuff. If I'm going to confess stuff at 3 a.m., Jared. If I just need, like, help, Phil. <laughs> don't steal my people. Get your own people. I don't want you all bombarding Jared and Phil and saying, hey, uh, you're a good 3 a.m. friend. You're going to hate me two months from now. But who's your 3 a.m. friend? Because that's your family. And it's not just your spouse. You need someone besides just your spouse. Because enough of you wake up your spouse at 3 a.m. from just kicking, stealing blankets and all that stuff. Get some family that's going to be there for you, that, that will be tender-hearted towards you, that will forgive you as God in Christ forgave them, and then return that favor. Walk humbly with God, looking to others and saying, I wonder if their story is deeper than what I know. And don't be so consumed with your own story that you neglect to hear theirs. Put on, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved people, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. There's a type of compassion that goes through the Old Testament. And some people read the Bible and they say, God in the Old Testament was so angry. Because you see this. You see the flood. You see God smiting people, the almighty smoter of things. And then you get to the New Testament. It's like, who's this guy named Jesus? I like him. He's just dancing in the dandelion fields, petting sheep, playing with kids, healing blind people. Why is he so angry here? And Jesus is all nice. Jesus is the son of God, God in the flesh. I don't get it. But then you just step back and think, okay, wait a second. Old Testament, thousands of years. God's saying, I love you, you're mine. Here's how to live. Please live this way in a relationship with me. And over and over and over again, they give God the hand and say, we don't want to be in a relationship with you. No thanks, two fingers, peace out. And God says, I'm just going to shift your whole world, slavery, exile. And then they're like, oh, God, we need you so much. Good, you're here, my kids, you're back. Hundred years later, God, no thanks, forget you, see you later, peace out, bye, bye, bye. Okay, I'm going to shift your whole world, and that's where Micah is. In this, the kingdoms had split, God says, Assyrians are coming, just pay attention, just love me, I'm going to show you compassion, I'm here for you. But they keep turning, and then Jesus comes. And Jesus is the one, for you and for me, who can get us to turn around. Today you have an opportunity to play a part in that. And, and here's the thing. If you're like, oh, are you going to guilt me into sponsoring a kid? No, I'm not. If you want to leave here and not sponsor a kid, 
I am 100% okay with that. God won't love you anymore. No, I'm just kidding. No, he will. He will. That was a bad joke, Pastor. It was a bad joke. But the, the Bible's clear. Like, what does God's justice look like? What does it look like to be the hands and feet of Jesus? We, we can just hit a pause button on being the mouth of Jesus for right now because the political Christian right is just driving me absolutely bonkers. Just, let's just close our mouths collectively as followers of Jesus just for like 30 seconds and be the hands and feet of Jesus. What does it look like for you? Because I don't want you to say, well, now I have to sponsor a kid. I want you to want to. If you don't want to, I want you to leave here and just ask yourself the question, why don't I want to turn around and help someone in need? What is it in my heart that's not lined up with God's heart? Because there's something not lined up if you don't want to help somebody in some way. It doesn't mean this. This is one way out of 100,000 ways. This is just a way that we are going to continue to partner with as a chapel family because it's cool. Because I've always been a fan of arranged marriages, and now I get to try. <laughs> because these kids, for 38 bucks a month, get food and school and a safe place. And if you don't understand what that means, just walk into the story. We're here all day the rest of the day till 7, I believe, and then tomorrow from 11 to 7 or 6 o'clock as well. You walk-ins are welcome. You can probably sign up on your phone right now. But maybe for you, it's not this right now. Maybe for you, you're like, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to navigate finance and stuff. Maybe you're just here and you're a kid and you're thinking, what can I do? Start with turning around to those who are near you. And it may not just be the homeless that you see. It may be your neighbor who you just haven't talked to in 11 years. Because we, we all know that that's how it works, right? In America, the front porches have gotten smaller and the backyard's bigger, the fence is higher. And even in Fishhawk, where they put these big, beautiful front porches out, I mean, most days it's like crickets out there. Maybe they just close their front door when they see me coming. I don't know why they would. I'm 200 pounds of twisted steel and sex appeal. See, it's a bad joke again. Again, it's, you, could, you can't owe me. You're from a boy band, okay? Will you turn around today? Will you have this verse in your head? He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. This is what's good and what God requires of you. Do justice, love kindness, love it. Don't just be kind, love kindness, and walk humbly, counting others as more significant and important than you currently are today. Try to see their side of the story and enter in with God's loving hands and arms. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for all that you've done to adopt us into your family. God, we've got 20 kids back on our table, and there's, there's kids in poverty around the world. This will never end until you come again, but we pray that today we could kick a big old dent in eternity, that we could help and come alongside compassion, not only compassion the organization, but that we would be compassionate individuals as we sit at our jobs this week, thinking, praying how we can be loving loving kindness more, how we can show the good news of Jesus more, how we can be the hands and feet of God more. Father, this is all for you. It's all for your glory. I'm so happy to be one of your kids. I pray that all of those here who are your kids and you are their dad, I pray that they today would have their hearts stirred to push back the darkness with what you've given them. In Jesus' name, amen.